Hey, it's Doug Birch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Have you ever tried to control God or control people? I mean, I've never done that, but I'm sure maybe you have or a friend has. Of course, we've all tried to do it. Today, we'll talk about why and maybe how to deal with that. We'll look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why was it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why not the tree of death and destruction and bad things? We'll also look at being an introvert, a dyslexic, overly sensitive, and a middle child as a pastor. All this and more on the Fairly Spiritual Show. Join us. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. dreams with you. Well, I'm so glad you could join me for another episode of the Fairly Spiritual Show. Uh, We've been talking about the community of God and how God has formed us into community, made us human in community. And today we're going to talk about uh, control. I know you don't have any control issues, but just let's just think theoretically that maybe some of us struggle with being controlling, of trying to control God and trying to control Others And to look at that, I, I want to look at uh, the theology of control from the beginning. Uh, let's look at Adam and Eve, the first couple that tried to control God. Uh, we looked at last week how Adam and Eve were wonderfully made. And often when we talk about humans, we talk about how terrible humans are. Sadly, when we introduce people to Christ, we often start with depravity. But the Bible doesn't start with depravity. The Bible starts with how wonderful and amazing humans are, that we are made in God's image, that we have been made fruitful to multiply, to have dominion, uh, that when God created humans, he said, very good. That's how the Bible starts. The Bible starts with the fact that it was not good for humans to be alone, and so God separated Adam, and in separating Adam, he created community, and that we need each other in order to be fully human, and we talked about that last week. So you get to this point uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden uh, where there's this tree put there, and we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the scripture says in Genesis 3.16, God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And theologians have argued about this. Why, why was there a tree put there in the first place? And there's lots of theories, and certainly anybody who says this is the, the exact reason is lying to you, because we don't know. We're just interpreting this as best as we know how. But when I look at this, uh, there's a couple things that come to mind. Uh, first, uh, it's interesting to me that it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, God says, uh, don't eat from this tree, but the tree doesn't seem that dangerous. I mean, if it's a dangerous tree, you think he would say, hey, don't eat from the tree of 
super dangerous devil demon death destruction. Don't eat from that tree. Don't you know, if it was a Hollywood film, it would be this dark, you know, dangerous looking tree and ominous music and demons around it. But it's just a tree and the tree is the knowledge of good and evil. And if you think about that, you're like, well, what's wrong with having knowledge of good and evil? You can make a lot of good choices if you know what's right and you, if you know what's wrong. So, so why would God even put that tree there and why would that be the name? And I'm just going to say this. For people who don't believe in the Genesis narrative, this is how I process this. You can believe that this is exactly what happened, that, that this story is exactly what happened, that there's an Adam and Eve and there's this tree and the Garden of Eden, and you can believe that. Or you can believe that God has told us a story to help us understand something that's really too hard for human comprehension. My belief is whether you believe God has told us a poetic narrative or he's told us something exactly as it happened, either way, it's exactly what we need to know in order to know what has happened. So it's truth either way. And I know that bothers some people and, and they want me to say, well, no, 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 it, it, you, you have to just believe it one way or the other, but, but my belief is the principles from this story are exactly what has happened to humanity. So I just believe it. I just believe that this is how humans were created and the, the principles that we gain from this, the, the truths that we get from the creation and the fall are exactly what we need to know about creation and what we need to know about the fall of humanity. So we have this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in this 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 tree, to me, is God offering humanity a choice. I believe for there to be love, there has to be choice. That for God to be the God of love, he has given us the opportunity to say yes and to say no. Without the ability to say yes or to say no, I don't think there's love. I think it, throughout all eternity, if we never had the ability to say, I said yes to God, God embraced me, but I embraced him in return. He loved me, but I loved him in return. If, if there was never in humans the ability to say yes to God, to choose God, I don't think there can be love. I think love requires choice, and I think we see that in every human relationship. Any, anything on earth that we call love in human forms, in a marriage, in a relationship with our kids and friendships, we talk about choice, that someone chose to love me. My wife, when you ask her, and well, I don't know if you've asked her this, but if you were to ask her, you know, why do you love Doug? I hope she wouldn't say, well, I had no choice. I just have to love him. You know, it's just, I don't even know. I just, I just love him. It's just what happened. I was created that way. No, no, there's a part of her language that, that says, I, I chose to love him and he chose to love me. And so God created this perfect world where, where things were perfect and beautiful, but he gave us the choice, and he gave us the choice to obey him or not to obey him. He gave us the choice to say yes or to say no, and if he ha hadn't given us the choice, then there really wouldn't have been the opportunity to love. We had to have the opportunity to say no in order to say yes, and, and that's my theory, and you can disagree with that, and it's okay. It's okay for you to be wrong and for me to be right. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just kidding. That's, that's just a joke. But then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and to me, it's so important that the choice isn't about choosing to do really wicked things. It's not like, don't eat from the tree of murder. It's, it's not, you know, don't eat from the tree of lust and lying and deceit. 
It's just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why is that? Well, why do you need the knowledge of good and evil? Why, why does someone need that? Well, well, I need it so I can make decisions, right? I need that knowledge so I can make decisions. Well, if Adam and Eve were, were going to follow God and just do what God had told them to do, they didn't need that knowledge. They didn't need the knowledge of good and evil because they could trust God. They could trust that God is good and they could do what God had told them to do. But because they did not trust God, they decided to get that knowledge for themselves. Just in case we can't trust you, God, just in case this God thing doesn't work out, just in case you're not enough, we need our own knowledge. We need our own wisdom. We need our own control. Now, maybe later on, as Adam and Eve had developed, God would have let them eat from that tree. We don't know that. We don't know if eventually he would have given humans the ability to know what was good and evil. But from the beginning, it was, I just want you to trust me. I want you to relinquish control and for you to surrender to my care and to let me be your God and you just do what I've asked you to do and to trust that I love you. And Adam and Eve did not trust that God loved them. And so instead, they made their own choice. They chose to serve themselves instead of to serve God. And that sin to serve self instead of to serve God is a sin that we see repeatedly throughout the Old and New Testament. And in fact, the Apostle Paul talks about it. I, was, I wrote about this in the book. This is Most of what I'm talking about here comes from chapter 4 of my book, uh, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And the chapter is called Pursuing the Tree of Ruin. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So the trade-off is this. Instead of worshiping the creator, they worshiped the created. And that has been the trade-off for humanity, that once we're created, we're like, I got this thing figured out, and I'm going to use this wonderful creation that, God, you made me in your image, and you made me fruitful to multiply and have dominion, and I'm going to use this created capacity to serve myself. And in order to serve myself, I need knowledge, so I need the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, and so I'm going to eat from this tree so I can have control over my destiny. And so I can serve the created, which is me, instead of the creator, which is God. And you see the sin throughout the Bible of every man or woman that God has gifted and given them tremendous created capacity. The temptation is they begin to serve themselves instead of God. Solomon uses his wisdom instead of for the kingdom of God. He uses it to pick up chicks or you know, he uses it to pick up women. That we use this created capacity. Our, our God creates this amazing kingdom through David and then David begins to take that upon himself, and he creates his own census, and he does things outside of God's will, or Moses does things outside of God's will. He uses his authority for himself. You see this again and again, that people use the authority that God has given them, or the power that God has given them, or the created capacity that God has given them, and they use it to serve themselves. They give glory to themselves. 
They give, they say, this is what I have done instead of this is what God has done through me. You see in Adam and Eve from the beginning that desire to have control over one's life. I want to control myself and I want to control God. I want to be like God. Now it's fun to just knock on Adam and Eve, but the reality is all of us have entered into that same sin. Uh, We have all, at some level, chosen control. Said, you know, I've only existed for a few days here or a few years here, Lord. I know you're eternal and everything, but I've got this thing figured out. I'm going to use my created capacity, the fact that I've been wonderfully made, the fact that I have volition, the fact that I have a mind that can think and an intellect and emotions and and I've got energy and hands and feet and this this amazing body that you've created. I don't know how amazing my body is, but I mean, you know what I mean? We got this amazing being you've created, so I'm going to use this creation and I'm going to use it to serve myself. And then anything that you've given me, Lord, that if I've been born into a prosperous setting, I'm going to use that prosperity for myself. Or if I've been born into a safe setting, I'm going to use that safety for myself. Or if I've been born into a Christian family, I'm going to use that foundation not to invest in the kingdom, but to invest in myself. In fact, you see this with Christians. One of the most dangerous things that can happen is their prayers are answered because once their prayers are answered, instead of serving the Lord more, they use those answered prayers to serve themselves. I found when people come into the church destitute and alone and empty, they're desperate for God and they're desperate for prayer and they're desperate for care. But when they get a job and when they get off drugs and maybe when they get married and when they get kids, they often turn away from the church. They often come to church less, and they give less to the church, and they give less time to others because they begin to serve what God has created. They're like, hey, I'd rather hang out with my wife and my kids, and I'd rather go on vacation with them than hang out with these messy people. I'd rather use the money I earn now through the job that God gave me on myself. And I know that. I would rather spend time with my wife and kids than other people. God has created a family that I love, and I'd rather serve the created instead of the creator. And one of the most dangerous things that can happen is your prayers are answered. And when they're answered, you begin to serve those answered prayers instead of the one who gave them to you. And I can just hang out with my wife because this is a wonderful miracle, our marriage. And I can just hang out with my kids because this is a wonderful miracle. And I can use the resources and the things that have been provided to me. And I can just use those for myself. But God has not gifted me to serve myself, but in order to invest in the kingdom and to serve him. Control, though, is a big issue. And I realized for me early on in ministry is that control was an issue that harmed me and harmed others. I became a controlling pastor, and I still struggle with control. I'd like to say, oh, this is something in the past, but the reality is I have always struggled with control, and maybe you have as well. And I don't know why I've struggled with control. There's obviously the issue of just sin and being a human, but there's other issues as well. Being a dyslexic, there's a part of me that has, has, has influenced how I interact with people and wanting to do things right and wanting to do things perfect and fearing community. There's another reality within me uh, that I'm an introvert. And people say, well, you're not an introvert. You like to talk to people. You've talked to thousands of people in different settings. But I'm an introvert in this. And here's a definition I'd give you for being an introvert. Uh, and I've, I've gotten this through different classes and talking to different people. An introvert is someone who is drained by community. An introvert is someone who is drained by community. An extrovert is someone who is fed by community. 
Now you can have introverts who are very outgoing in community. They can be, you know, talking and the life of the party, but when they leave that room, they are drained. An extrovert, on the other hand, they are just filled up by the room. They just love being in the room. They want to stay there. They just feel like a bigger person when they leave. The introvert feels smaller and weaker and worn out. And if you look at it, often people in leadership positions are introverts. I've seen pastors and comedians and entertainers who are introverts in that they'll control the room and they'll tell their jokes or they'll give their sermon and, and they'll do their thing. But there's a reality that once that's over, they don't want to talk to anyone. They don't want to just hang out because the room drains them. And because the room, room drains them, they do everything in their power to try to control the room, to, to keep from awkward situations occurring, to keep from awkward interactions occurring. Like for me, to hang out in a home group where we just talk is a very difficult situation. I have a co-pastor who helps me where I'll go into a room and I'll say, I just don't want to go into this room. And people don't understand that. They say, well, why? These people are your friends. But there's a part of me that does not look forward to just being in a room with people. I feel drained by those interactions. So there's a part of me that's an introvert. There's also a part of me that's very emotional. I'm easily hurt. It's just who I am. And you can say, have a, th a thick skin, but you can't make your skin thick. You just are who you are. And the, and the best exclamation, exclamation, the best explanation I would use for this is some people just have emotional heartstrings that when they're plucked, they reverberate just a little longer. And you might be like that. If, if someone says something to you that's hurtful or even joyful, whatever the emotion is, your emotional heartstrings just reverberate a little longer. It just goes longer. Others, something is said and it just quickly passes. My wife, her emotions are much more kept in check than mine. And so we make a good pairing. But for me, something can be said. And, and even if I know in my mind it's not a big deal, my emotions just reverberate. Just over and over again, I, I think about that thing and I process that thing. So being an introvert and having these emotions that, that just kind of reverberate and a dyslexic and then being called to be a pastor, it seemed like an impossible situation. Like, I, I can't do this. I can't be a pastor. I don't want to be hurt by people. And then I threw in being a middle child. As a middle child, I always felt like I had to make everybody get along. And I'm just throwing all these things in here, and I, not that to label myself to death, but Sometimes people think, well, you're talking about being in community. It must just be really easy for you. It has not been easy for me. If I went based on my desires, I would isolate. I would isolate again and again. I don't particularly like being with people. I would rather just be with a small group of people that I can trust. People hurt you. Now, by the way, when I isolate, I don't feel any better, but my, my tendency is to think that if I just isolate, I'll feel better. But here, God called me into the ministry, and there's a part of me that really struggles being with people and struggles with these emotions and struggles with being an introvert and struggles with these learning disabilities. And so what did I try to do? Well, this is what I tried to do. I tried to control people. Just like Adam and Eve wanted the knowledge of good and evil, I wanted to gain whatever knowledge I could gain, whatever advantage I could gain in order to control people. And I'll admit to this as a pastor, it wasn't to control them to be like, I'm the big jerk who wants my way. It was I tried to minister to people so that I wouldn't have pain, so that I wouldn't be hurt, 
So I tried to say the right thing so people wouldn't hurt me. And I tried to do the right thing so people wouldn't hurt me. And I tried to do everything based on a position of fear and a position of control and a position of, I just don't want pain in my life. And so on the outside, I looked like a good pastor because I'm being nice to people, I'm saying nice things, I'm being kind, I'm being caring. But on the inside, I'm full of tension and conflict and pain because I'm doing everything I can to try to control the situation so I don't have any more pain, so no one hurts me, so that my present and my future aren't miserable. That's a terrible way to live your life. And here's the problem with it. I got pretty good at it. I got pretty good at reading the emotional cues in the room, pretty good at solving the problems. And when you get good at solving problems, people come to you with more problems. So more problematic people come to you, more conflicts come to you, more struggles come to you. And then you begin to dread being in relationship with people because people come to you as a problem fixer. And the only reason you're fixing problems is because you don't like conflict. And you get caught in these terrible cycles where you're not loving people out of a genuine just desire to love and be gracious and kind, but you're doing loving things because you're trying to control the situation so that you don't have any pain or heartache. That was my tree of ruin. I was constantly researching the right, get, trying to get the right knowledge, the right information, the right social cues in the room so that I could have the right knowledge and do the right thing to make things okay. But the reality is things were not okay, and I wasn't okay. See, ministry is not about control. Christianity is not about control. It's about surrender, and it's about love. It's about willingly entrusting yourself into the hands and into the arms of your loving Savior. And this is not easy to do. And it doesn't get easier. You know, I think sometimes people assume, they go, well, you're a pastor. You know, you just, you just figured it out. No, no, you don't. It doesn't get easier. At least not for me, it hasn't gotten easier. It gets hard. It gets difficult. Because the more people you love, the more people who can hurt you. And the more people you'll fail. There's one thing in pastoring, and I don't think I even mentioned this in the book, but one of the hard things about pastoring is I pastor friends and family members and loved ones that I know that I'm going to disappoint every single person in my life by being their pastor. There's going to come this moment where I'm going to say something or do something, even with the best intentions, where it's going to hurt them. I, I, I've had, I think, in the history of the church, and I'm not someone who yells at people or I'm just, I'm not. I'm like, if you know me at all, if you see me through social media, I, this, I, I've never yelled at anyone in the church. I don't, I'm not that kind of person. But just being who I am, I will cause pain to people. They'll get upset at me. They'll, they'll, they'll be frustrated with the decisions I've made. They'll see me as not, not visiting them enough, not calling them enough, not caring enough. They'll, they'll stop coming to the church because they didn't see me as loving enough. Right now, I know in the town that I pastor that there are hundreds of people that if you went to them and said, hey, didn't you used to go to Evergreen Church? They'll say, yeah, I used to go there, but I don't go there because, you know, the pastor, he was just too distant. Or, you know, he didn't come visit me after, you know, when I was in the hospital or, you know, he didn't call me back or, and, and if I heard them talk, I, there would be nothing I could do to defend myself. 
I just have to say, yes, I'm not enough. Part of ministry is becoming not enough for people. That It's not just loving other people. It's letting them love you and letting them see you for all your flaws and to know you that you are not enough. That you are thoroughly not enough and there's nothing you can do to be enough. I mean, you can try and you work and you, but you understand that with relationships, the closest relationships, my marriage does not hold together because Jennifer does everything right and I do everything right. It holds together because of grace and love and acceptance and kindness and goodness. Not because she's perfect or I'm perfect. And it's the same with the church. I'm giving people the opportunity to love me and for me to love them in return. For them to see my worst and to say, you know, Doug has failed me, but I've been called to love him. For me, for the church, I had to stop going to that tree of control and just stand before the Lord and say, you know, you called me to be a pastor and you called me to love these people and to love you and to love myself and to be human. And so I'm going to grow and I'm going to try my best, but I'm going to stop leading through anxiety and through fear as best as I know how. There's still fear and anxiety, right? And I'm just going to love people. And I'm going to listen to their problems, not so that I can fix them, but so I can love them. And I'm going to welcome the person who doesn't love me in return. And I'm not going to see ministry as successful in that I fix their problem. That the goal of ministry won't be to fix problems, but to love people. In fact, the goal of ministry won't even be to gain knowledge about what is wrong and right with every situation, but the goal would be to make room for the resurrected presence of Jesus Christ in every situation, to go to the tree of life and to bring the life of Jesus into that situation, to bring people to Jesus. We all struggle with control. I'm still an emotional person. I'm still easily hurt, and that's not other people's fault. That's not their responsibility. So I have to stand before the church, and I say this. I say to the church, you know, I didn't become a pastor because I want more friends. And it's not because you're bad people. I just I just don't know how to hang out with people, and I'm trying my best, but, but I'm still going to be here, and I'm still going to try my best to love each of you, and I'm asking you to love me as best as you know how. And I'm asking us to be kind to one another and for us to love each other, not at our best, but at our worst. And for this to be a church that's rooted in grace and kindness and love. A place where we can be weak and just share that we don't know and we don't understand. Instead of a place where we're trying to fix each other and control each other and manipulate each other. I had someone come to me once and say, Pastor, you know, our church seems to be having a lot of problems. It was during a time where some people were talking about some really bad things they were going through. And they said to me, yeah, I just really feel like we're going through a lot of bad things. And I said, well, yeah, there's a lot of tough things going on, but I don't know if we're going through a lot of bad things or maybe we're just a little bit more honest than the churches we grew up in. Maybe churches were so busy controlling the image that we weren't honest. Or there was no room for honesty. There was no room to talk about marriages that were crumbling, 
kids that were struggling with addiction or cutting themselves or depression or suicidal thoughts. There was no room for the pastor to say, I can't do this anymore. I need help. It was all or nothing. Everything was either perfect or suddenly it was terrible. All of us have control issues. All of us have fear issues. All of us need safe places. I don't think help and healing and hope comes from going to a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and trying to figure it all out on ourselves so that we can control the situation, control God, and control others. I think ultimately it goes this way. We don't serve ourselves; We serve the Creator. We go to God and say, God, come into this situation. Let your light and your life and your goodness come. And from a place of peace and a place of hope and a place of acceptance, would you work through me and in me? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. Keep listening. We have much more to talk about. We're going to talk about how sin divides communities, but also how sin brings communities back together. Hey, you've been listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Hey, if you'd like a copy of my new book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, you can go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org, and you can pick up a copy. There is, let's see, we've got a Audible version, we've got a text version, and we've got a Kindle version. There are so many ways to avoid this book. The theme song is written by my brother Dan Bursch. Check out his music on iTunes. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. dreams with you.